This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to Whoa. our podcast. Tommy, what do we got today? Well, no, but what, uh, what we're going to talk about today is um, one of the earlier places that Russia invaded. We talked about a little bit in the um, Billy Joel song, right? Alatollahs in Iran. The Russians in Afghanistan. That's what we're going to be looking about today. The Russian invasion of Afghanistan in 79 to 89 and how it basically led to the um, eventual downfall of the Soviet Union. Yeah, I mean, the repercussions of this were very important for just global history, considering the fact that it, it most definitely led to, like you said, the downfall of the Cold War and Soviet Union, really, an ending Cold War. But I think it's also very topical today because, you know, we're amidst a, a new Russian invasion, you might say, um, this time into Ukraine. So uh, yeah, I had some students asking me about this particular event um, in the past couple of weeks. And they're like, well, didn't the Russians invade Afghanistan and it like failed miserably? And I was trying to explain to them, well, it wasn't the Russians. It was Soviet Union. There was a little difference there. And also uh, whether it failed or not, which it did, by the way, it still lasted 10 years. So, you know, if you're trying to compare the two, which you really can't, but, you know, I figure this would be a really good background to try to give our listeners and even our students if are listening to this as to what the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan was really about. It was one of those wars where battles were won, yet the war was lost. For us Americans, this is uh, actually very, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Deja vu-ish. Yeah, it's, 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 the, it's the Soviet version of, I'm sorry to talk over you. It's the Soviet version of Vietnam. Yeah, go. That's basically yeah. what it is. Yeah, it's the Absolutely. Soviet version of Vietnam. Absolutely. That's what it's compared to. That's what you're going to yeah. see. And then, you know, and you see it in a lot of movies from that time, too. I mean, you don't they don't show that movie quite a bit. But obviously, Rambo three, right? He that's all dealing with the Russians in Afghanistan, and it has repercussions for the United States too. I'm, you know, you can make the argument that nine yeah, eleven, nine eleven happens because of the Afghan war, and we'll look at that. These are things we're going to look at and discuss. And also, you're not talking over me, bro. We're just talking. That's the name of the podcast. I know, but I don't know. I'm just making sure. Just making sure. Let's start off with just history of Afghanistan, more or less, and. How well, it, yeah, uh, right, yeah, yeah, relates to Russia and how it relates, and then we'll, you know, we'll kind of speed up a little bit and get to the war itself and talk about the repercussions. So, well, so we um, want to start. We're going to start like the early nineteenth century, or yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to do. I was going to do like you know early nineteenth yeah. century Afghanistan essentially uh, becomes kind of like a pawn. Uh, a lot of historians say in between two empires, right, the Tsarist Russia and Great Britain, and this is most commonly known by historians as the Great Game. Yeah. And ultimately what's happening is Tsarist Russia is expanding significantly into Central Asia, which is bringing it very close to India. Uh, and as you know, a lot of people know, India is the imperial British jewel, right? Yeah, so yeah that's their Britain big thing. They don't want to lose that. No, they don't want to lose that. And they're afraid of the fact that Russia is getting closer to it. So this is 1800s. So Britain winds up actually fighting um, wars in Afghanistan region to maintain it from any form of Russian en encroachment. They, they want Afghanistan to stay a buffer zone between Russia and their Indian empire. The Russian Revolution happens in 1917. And in 1919, the Afghan people win their independence. And they actually are allowed to conduct their own foreign policy. So Soviet Union became the first country to recognize them and establish diplomatic relations with Afghanistan, which actually, uh, in a quid pro quo, I guess, Afghanistan was also one of the first countries to formally recognize the Soviet Union. Which yeah, when the, the Bolsheviks took power. Yeah. 
Yep. Uh, USSR or United Socialist Soviet Republics, aka Soviets, um, wind up giving economic and military aid to Afghanistan, which kind of stays, again, this is post-World War One. We're not really even at World War Two yet. What essentially happens is British Empire declines after World War Two, and the United States emerges as kind of the, obviously the dominant world power along with the Soviet Union. And Afghanistan still kind of remains neutral during the Cold War after World War II. However, it has been traditionally leaning more towards the Soviet sector. And I think this kind of brings us a little closer to the actual event in 1979 when we get to, I mean, 1973, Afghanistan's last king is ousted, right, in a coup yeah. um, by his, his cousin. cousin kills him, and, right? Yep. Brother-in-law cousin. Last name is Khan. And they... Khan. I know. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I, I just knew it. I knew. Sorry. You Sorry. know, I actually kind of had a feeling we were gonna do that for some reason. I don't even. I don't even like Star Trek. I don't know why I did that. But yeah, go ahead. You don't like Star Trek? Not particularly. You serious? I love Star Trek. I don't. I don't I mean, know. obviously, it's, I like Star Wars. It's more, fine. But, um, moving on. <laughs> so, moving on. So Khan uh, establishes this new republic. Khan's republic is actually bringing in a lot of democratic reforms. Um, you know, he's talking about educating people. He's talking about building up the infrastructure. He's talking about kind of making it a, a lot more modern, essentially. And the idea here is the belief by Khan's belief in the 70s is that unless Afghanistan modernizes, it will get lost within this great, you know, battle, the Cold War between the two different nations. Yeah, what, so, what he basically saw is the weakness of Sovietism, communism, socialism, what do you want to call it, compared to capitalism, is that you're not, it's, they're not going to be able to compete yep. long term, like monetarily, at least. It's just yep. not going to happen. And he saw that. He's yep. like, listen, we have oil. Afghanistan has raw materials that other countries want. I'm going to imp- I'm gonna trade with other countries beyond the USSR. And like, you know, yep. we have to have free acts and we have to have free decisions. He basically didn't want to be a puppet anymore. And the Soviet Union did not approve of this. And, but a lot of people still no. didn't like Khan, obviously. So he was actually, um, a, there was a communist uh, revolution that overthrew him, right? The Saw Revolution, yep. I saw. Yep, 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 yep. He, he gets killed along with most of his family. They all get pretty much, they all get assassinated. It's happened since 1978, right? So there's an uprising, like you said, it's Communist People's Democratic Party. Like, you, it's funny how you always mention this as well. Like, all these communist countries have the Democratic in their name, but yeah, they, they call them People's Democratic, that, yeah. yeah, People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan, PDPA, in 1978 overthrows Khan in a revolution, essentially. And then it starts off, you know, this, this, kind of communist leadership, right? But within this PDP, I'm sorry, PDPA regime, it's actually very unstable. I mean, it gained power through revolution. And the Soviet leaders still feel like it's not the most popular regime in Afghanistan. No, and, and it wasn't. It wasn't. Lose, and it wasn't. And they don't want to lose um, Afghanistan at the same time. Again, this is the Cold War. They want to have that sphere of influence within the region. And specifically, as you mentioned, because of the raw materials and, and oil and whatnot huge resistance, right? Mostly from religious leaders that believe that communists, like radical reforms, agrarian reforms, were more so than anything going against their religious beliefs. There was a coup within the party itself. It's an internal coup, actually. Yeah, in nineteen, um, in the fall of 1979, right? Yep. Um, so you have Hafizullah, an individual... Amin? Yeah, Amin. He basically, yeah, he organized this coup that killed the party's first leader ushered in this um, really brutal reign. Um, and there was a lot of national unrest. Um, Moscow and the Russian, obviously, the Russians started getting really worried here. They're, 
they kind of figured we have to do something about this because well, they feared out that they feel like losing. it's going to yeah they're going they fear that it's going to turn to the United States basically yeah like they don't not want turn that. to but turn towards yeah well they basically were uh, they were alarmed like you said they might turn to the United States so they um were so uh, Brezhnev right that's what I'm saying yep. that right in October Brezhnev, of 1979 Brezhnev. yeah Brezhnev I, I, so I don't have that Eastern European affleck that you have um uh, he sought to, to pursue a more um yeah a more balanced policy and stuff like that with the united states he basically wanted to change the political line of afghanistan he didn't want it to happen so they basically they invade the soviets invade afghanistan um to make sure that soviet influence would be stable no matter what and he wanted to create weakness yep. that the u.s could he didn't want the u.s to basically exploit any weaknesses there all right so they figured they had they had to act and they have this uh brezhnev doctrine right did i say that right I said yep. better that time. Yep, yep. And basically that we're going to be very friendly to them. We're going to go in there and uh, get rid of the non-communists. The way they started it, though, I mean, it started with KGB, right? I don't know if you saw this. Yeah, they went in. For, they always do that first. They infiltrated it first and went in there, yeah. The KGB goes in and, like, causes, like, a, a ruckus. Or it's not ruckus. I want a word. I don't know why I came up with a ruckus. But they disrupt the operations of Amin's government um, before they yeah. actually invade. Yeah, It's, it's like Christmas Eve terrain and geography of Afghanistan, which Americans also learned later on, is a logistical nightmare. First, yeah. the country is landlocked. So the only way to Afghanistan is through neighboring countries or by air. There's no, there's no other way you could do that. Uh, second is probably the biggest obstacle, the high peaks right on the Hindu Kush mountain range It'll covers 75% of the total area of Afghanistan is mountains. Um, some of the biggest and tallest mountains on the planet, making Afghanistan basically one of the most mountainous areas in the world. The average elevation, I think it's like over 6,000 feet. So you can transport supplies, heavy machinery, um, and obviously they act kind of like a natural shield against any form of armored vehicles. Any paths through these mountains are super narrow, perfectly positioned for any form of ambushes. And there's lack of actual infrastructure and roads through 75% of the nation. So it's really important for you to have these these small paths. Afghanistan is a place you don't want to invade, to put it. You don't want to say, you don't win. You don't, what's that, uh, John Green, right? You ever watch John Green? What's it? uh, Of course. He talks so fast. Crash course. Yeah, Crash Course. He always talks about that, right? Crash Course. Unless you're the Mongols, yeah, Crash Course. Unless you're the Mongols, don't invade Afghanistan. That's so not going to be successful for you. The nickname, the Graveyard mm-hmm. of Empires. They were yeah. the British because they can't get him. You cannot take over Afghanistan. The British tried three times in 1839 to 42, uh, 1878 and to 19, I'm sorry, to 1880. And then again in 1919, the British could not do it. And then obviously this doesn't pan out really for the Russians and it doesn't really pan out for us later on. So it mm-hmm. actually has been given a nickname because of surviving so many invasions as the graveyard of empires. All right, so let's get into the actual invasion. You know, what what happened here? Were, you know, who are the Mujahideen and, you know, all that other good stuff that Rambo shows us so vividly in Rambo well, Basically, you have, you know, the nearly 100,000 Soviet troops, right? They, they come in, they start taking control over major cities and the highways. The rebellion was um, swift and the Soviets were really... They really like went all out, almost like the beginning of what we would call like a shock and awe. See, they're trying to they're trying to shore up their their newly established pro-Soviet regime in Kabul. And the Soviets dealt harshly with the Mujahideen rebels at first, um, who supported the rebellion. They leveled entire um, villages, um, denied safe havens to their enemy. Foreign support was popping up or pretty pretty early 
from a diverse group of rebels pouring in from mm -hmm. uh, particularly um, Iran, Pakistan, also United States, but also China. Yeah, China was not yeah, in support of this um, war in this uh, war in Afghanistan, and the conflict. Um, that's why one reason why they say estimate about one million civilians were killed in this conflict. But really, the Soviets tried using their more advanced technology, and one of the main things is their um, low-flying helicopters, right? The um, the Heinz, the Heinz, and those were really like the ones that the guerrilla fighters are having the most problem with until something that happens a little bit later on, which we'll talk about with when uh, they get the American Stinger missiles and stuff yeah. like that. Because Afghan didn't have any sort yep. of air force whatsoever. And obviously, as I mentioned before, because of topography, the only way you could really attack and get through, you can't use tanks too much. Soviets needed air superiority, and they lost that eventually. So when the Soviets invade, right, they actually topple or help topple um, Amin's presidency, like the leader. And the initial aim of the operation was to basically like create or prop up this new client state, right? Headed by a new leader that's supported by the Soviets. His name was Karmal. Kind of put him in power and he, he was supposed to become the new person that's going to get the support, but he didn't. So the Soviets have an issue. The issue is the, the sheer fact that just like what happens with the Americans in Afghanistan later in the 2000s, the Soviets control all the major cities and all the major roads very quickly. But that's not really the problem. The problem is that, you know, like I mentioned before, a majority of that nation is not cities. And what happens, you have this rebellion. They're not that basically, the people. Yeah. Yeah, they, they don't control the people. They just control these cities. And the rebellion grows and spreads to all parts of the country, um, you know, through these rebels that are known as Mujahideen. So initially, the Soviets didn't really want to try to suppress the rebellion. They wanted the Afghan army to suppress the rebellion. So, you know, they instituted this guy in power and they're like, look, we'll give you weapons. You know, you technically have an army, so you should go because you know the terrain. Go out there and try to get these Mujahideens, um, rebels. And the army, the Afghan army is doing such a poor job of it that the Soviets are basically forced to abandon, not abandon the cities, but move past the cities and start attacking and looking, essentially, for these guerrilla fighters. That's what it became, with, like, a, like a hunter prey almost, yeah. Absolutely. It led to, I mean, it quickly settled into a stalemate. You know, you have the 100,000 Soviet troops, like you mentioned. They control the cities, larger towns. Uh, but ultimately, the major garrisons, you know, are, are unable to stop the Mujahideen. They're, they move with relative freedom throughout the entire countryside. They just... They cannot crush the insurgency. Because, again, the Afghans see these as foreign invaders, and they're going to use that. And then a lot of people start to get a little bit more radicalized, which is something that um, we'll discuss a little bit later. And yeah, like I said before, there is international um, backlash right away. Yeah, a lot of the, um, a lot of the countries that stepped in. Um, president Carter, he's, he's, he's uh, Carter, uh, Jimmy Carter's the president at this point. He writes what I saw as a very strong worded letter right to the Russians um, demanding yep. that they leave and um, demanding they leave the Afghanistan. Um, they also put a lot of economic sanctions. They do trade embargoes against the Soviet Union. They call for a boycott in the 1980 Moscow Olympics. And yep. then what they start to do, and this increases over the time as they step up the aid to the Afghan insurgents. And again, that's, it's really the, some of the American weapons that are given to the Mujahideen is really what allows them to start inflicting some more heavy losses against the Russians, which is something that yep. uh, we'll get into at some point. Want to give them the stinger? I mean, you could just get into it now. They, they want yeah, to give them stinger Yeah, well, it's basically the stinger missile. I didn't want to get into it until we were ready, but I guess it's ready. Yeah, um, why not? It's I mean, basically, and there's a great movie about this. I know we've talked about this uh, and other things, Pete, but um, called Charlie Wilson's War. Yep. So it deals with, and uh, Tom Hanks plays it. Mm -hmm. plays a place it plays senator uh representative charlie wilson and um he basically 
finds out that through back channel, he's a career politician, right? And he's the one that starts to really increase the amount of aid given to the. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Giving to the Mujahideen. He mm-hmm. um, goes to, he actually visits Afghanistan at one point, goes to a hospital where he sees children with like their limbs blown off and stuff like that. And uh, he said that's what really drove him to push for more and more money. So he keeps on increasing this aid to the Mujahideen as time goes on. He has a lot of these back, backdoor deals and stuff like that. And um, the CIA officer actually approaches Wilson, breaking the CIA's policy against lobbying Congress for money, asking for $50 million more. Wilson agreed. He convinces Congress of doing that. Um, so he succeeded in giving them over $300 million, basically. And one of the main things they also he gives them are those Stinger missiles, which are basically just point and click. Like they lock into the, a heat source. And the yeah. Heinz, if you ever like, Google a picture of the Soviet Heinz, these things are flying tanks. These things are huge. And yeah. they give off a ton of heat. And they were used to fly through the canyons and just you know, find the Mujahideen or resistant fighters and you know, blow, them, blow them away. And they were, that was a, probably the biggest problem that the Mujahideen said they have is that if we could find a way to shoot down the helicopters, we could win this war. So Wilson was like, okay, let's do it. And so he would get these Stinger missiles, which basically you just would point at the helicopter when it locked on, you hear like a beeping sound, you pull the trigger and you would shoot a missile that would take out the helicopter. So like point and click basically. Yeah. And um, Wilson actually goes to uh, um, Afghanistan with the Mujahideen, you can find pictures, and he actually wanted to shoot down one of the helicopters. So there was, there was a story that they actually um, dragged chains across the tires on a road to create a dust cloud. And they said usually when there was a dust cloud, that would attract the Soviet copters because they thought there was like, you know, movement and stuff, like troop movements and stuff like that. So they would go and investigate it. And that's when they would shoot down the, um, that was, they would have the ambush and shoot down the helicopter, but no one actually came. So he was unable to fire the missiles, but he was something that he really wanted. And he actually had a Stinger missile over his desk in his office wow. because that's how proud he was of everything. So, but he, Charlie Wilson is a, it's an interesting movie, but he was a big reason why the, the Mujahideen got so much money and got all those weapons was basically this congressman, a representative from Texas that really pushed yeah, it. And, and a lot of it was, was not official. A lot of this help going there was, was not yeah, official. Back door, back door. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was all about him. I'll vote for this. If I can promise you, you know, I'll get you these votes. If you give me these votes for this money and stuff like that. Some of the money was unused Pentagon money yep. that he had um, sent there and stuff like that. So, yeah. And this is, you know, this kind of, not kind of, this extremely, like, frustrates the Soviets, right? The Mujahideen, you know, obviously favors sabotage operations, period. And now with these Stinger missiles, they basically took away the only advantage that the Soviets had, which was in in the air, air superiority. Now that's that's gone now. And then on top of that, you have the Mujahideen are sabotaging, um, you know, power lines and knocking out pipelines, radio stations, blowing up government offices, buildings, air terminals, hotels, like... You name it, they're making the occupation, the Soviet occupation, miserable. And this is what turns the Soviets 
a lot because at that point, the Soviets are, are getting so frustrated. And this is kind of reminiscent of our Vietnam. They start concentrating on just both civilian and military targets because they no longer really know who the enemy is and who's not. Um, the attacks just extend to civilians, you know, which which becomes or rather not becomes, but calls on even a bigger media reaction and, and bigger world condemnation of what's happening in Afghanistan. You know, the world is looking at the Soviet Union as the aggressors. CBS news correspondent, right? So in 1982, accuses the Soviets of genocide, and he actually compares them on national TV to Hitler. Mainstream t- television is basically presenting this as holy warriors against an evil empire of the Soviets. And it is the media is definitely very skewed uh, from that perspective. And, and you know, eventually all of that kind of becomes very ironic in the future because the you know, Mujahideen, a lot of them are also... Uh, you know, they're, they're trained by the CIA. And one particular really, really rich leader, Osama bin Laden, also goes to Afghanistan to fight against the Soviets. And, and we indirectly also have dealings with him where we supply him with weapons and help him out fight against the Soviets. And these are the same weapons and the same people that eventually become the Taliban. And these are the type of people that eventually attack us at 9-11. Yeah, they're more radicalized you know, ones, ironic. I guess you would say. But yeah. A lot more, yeah, yeah, a lot more. Um, and that's something that um, they that you'll find out after the war. Not going well yeah. for the Soviets. At one point, those Stinger missiles, they are reported are shooting down well one helicopter a day, and those are just losses that like the the Soviet Union just can't keep on doing. So there's a lot of you know anti-Soviet around the world, like you were saying, Pete. Although you can't really protest in the Soviet Union at that time, there is a lot of people in the Soviet hierarchy that are saying this is probably not a war that we can win. And it's also bankrupting the Soviet Union. They are going bankrupt yeah. because of this war. It's been fighting for over 10, about 10 years at this point. They, they're not really gaining any territory. They're looking hard on the world stage. And more and more Soviets are dying. They're saying about 15,000 Soviets were killed just in this, yeah. in this conflict, which is crazy um, when you think about it. I don't want to, you know, I don't, but compare yeah. it today. That's what a lot of sources are saying. The, Soviets, the Russians are already lost in Ukraine, anywhere from seven to 15,000 soldiers already. That's all. That's and that's fifty. They lost fifteen thousand in the entire war. In the entire war, like ten years. That's crazy. How do you know? How does this war technically end? Well, it basically ends with the Soviets leaving. They realize that they're not going to win, and what it's really doing is it's they're they're being bankrupt. The Soviet Union is going is running out of money. Um, So they decide that it's just in their best interest to basically end this war, and they decide that they're going to slowly withdraw their troop. And it's like the famous pictures where you see the last Soviet units um, going over the, um, through the bridge and they leave in Afghan territory. And that's like a big deal and stuff like that. And they're talking about all on TV that this is the end of the war. It's basically, they're, like I said before, they're broke. They're, they're, that's their exit, exit strategy. So they actually start leaving, I believe in 85. That's when they start taking some of these initial steps and stuff like that to leave. But it doesn't actually leave until 1889 with, with the final withdrawal. And the cause of this war basically of 1980 was they were equipped for large-scale conventional warfare in Central Europe, particularly against like United States, European countries. They weren't prepared for this more guerrilla fighting tactics. Right, yep. um, they're large-scale offensive against Mujahideen strongholds. Like we temporarily clear those sectors, like we talked about, and they kill our civilians. But when, when you're killing civilians, you're also creating more enemies because now more people are going to want to fight against you. And they just didn't yeah. have enough soldiers. Most of their troops were conscripts. They weren't. They were poorly trained. And uh, you know, I also saw this idea that they they ironically borrowed from again the United States because they did their own version of Vietnamization. I mean, the way they started, they they were looking for like peace with honor here and. When Gorbachev decided it was time to get out, basically said to 
the Afghan army, um, that was, you know, the puppet Afghan government, communist government, like, we'll give you all the weapons you need and you will slowly start, you know, protecting yourselves against the uh, Mujahideen and we're, we're, you know, we'll give you all the weapons, but you do all the fighting. And that's kind of how the Soviets slowly got out of there. But, you know, as you it's mentioned, because that Soviet puppet government was still put in charge. Yeah, I think yes. that's something I guess we forgot to mention. Yeah. So this was not like the Afghan government fighting the Soviets. This was the Mujahideen rebels fighting the Soviets. Their, their government was still like a puppet Soviet state, which very similar to, again, what was going on in Vietnam years before. Ultimately speaking, you know, once the Russians get out, you, you kind of brought this up, the idea that the Soviets are truly bankrupt. I mean, this war, as oftentimes, first of all, it's extremely unpopular back home. It, it is their Vietnam. It's it's extremely unpopular. It bankrupts them. And ultimately, what, what it comes down to is the Soviet Union can no longer really upkeep their empire. And, and this this is the beginning of the end of the Soviet Union, which which ultimately falls in, you know, Berlin Wall 89, but ultimately falls shortly thereafter. There's there's no question about the fact that this there is a causation, I guess, between the two events. All right, so what's what are some, like, long-term um, impacts of, of this invasion? Yes, it destroys the Soviet Union, but it also destroyed Afghanistan. Um, Afghanistan was, they don't even know how many um, civilians were killed. Some estimates go as high as 2 million, um, but definitely had a whole bunch of, um, you had over 5 million uh, refugees fled to uh, Pakistan and Iran. So about a third of the of the pre-war population of the country, or another two million, were displaced. So it was a huge um, refugee crisis in history, uh, one of the largest ones ever in history. And what it also did is, you had so many of the um, older people and so didn't didn't survive the war. So you had a very young population, and it was a young population that was also about a very large percent of it was um, uneducated. And yeah. that becomes a big problem because all the schools were bombed. A lot of the infrastructure was destroyed. And what that did, and they talk about this in that movie, Charlie Wilson's War, briefly, um, where they say a lot of these, it's big, yes, they call them the crazies in, the, in there, but it's basically the Taliban. The U.S. had information on this. You had a lot of these, what becomes the Taliban fighters coming in, and they started doing doctrine and started taking over a lot of the area, and these more, much more religious um, zealots, basically. And um, that's going to lay the groundwork, basically, for what happens in 9-11 because what they're saying is that they saw the United States promised they were going to help rebuild Afghanistan if we fight off the Soviets. Now we fought off the Soviets. Where's this all this United States help? Because the United States, when this was over, like, all right, good, we're done. Like they didn't really see Afghanistan a place to invest. Yeah, it causes the rise of Taliban, basically. Um, That that, that does, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, Taliban and Al-Qaeda and all that. And the pro-Mujahideen Afghans, uh, at first, saw the United States mainly, you know, as helping win the Soviet Afghan war. But what happens after withdrawal is kind of, as you mentioned it, there's a shift, almost like a paradigm shift in, in beliefs that they start blaming the United States for for a lot of the miseries. And they're saying that technically arming of these rebel groups uh, led to the rise of really extremist groups because they were now armed. Um, and they also yeah, said... Yeah, break, breakdown of law and order. You know, all these like warlords popping up all over the place. Yep. Because the Soviets weren't there. So they didn't have that common enemy anymore. So they all wanted to stake claim to their own little area. Bin Laden's group, Al-Qaeda, does get kicked out of Afghanistan. But they actually, um, they return to Afghanistan later on. They take refuge with the Taliban after being expelled from the Sudan. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, they remember, they attacked the World Trade Center in 1999. Um, in 93. Honestly, 93 to bombing. 93, I'm sorry. Yeah. In 93. Uh, 99 was the U.S. coal. The U.S. Yep. coal. Um, they... Some they bombed some um, they bombed the U.S. embassies in Africa in, in ninety eight, so it's it's stuff like that. Um, 
So the I mean, U.S. didn't have, did not ever aid Bin Laden or any of his affiliates directly. Yeah. There's no like proof of that. Yeah. But they were definitely aiding people of the same side too, as well. If that yep. makes sense. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and in 1993 bombing, all the participants um, served in Afghanistan. So yeah. also they got their training or you know got yeah. battle hardened, I guess you could say. You know, well, it destroys the country and that lays yeah. the groundwork for the for them to take over. Yeah. Did you see that in November in 2018, Russian lawmakers from uh, United Russia and Communist parties jointly approved a draft resolution that sought to justify the Soviet-Afghan war and declared null and void the 1989 resolution that was passed by the Congress of People's Deputies of the Soviet Union, which condemned the intervention. Um, the 2018 Russian lawmakers were like, no, the decision you know, was, was historical truth. We invaded and it was the right thing to do at the time. Also, another fun fact, about 25% of all the Soviet servicemen, so a quarter of all the Soviet soldiers that fought in Afghanistan were actually Ukrainian, which I thought was a really interesting yeah. fact. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of those things. Yeah, I mean, it's, no. it has repercussions still to this day. You know, there's individuals that are obviously still alive during that time. You know, it wasn't that long ago when you really yeah. think about it. So, but it was, it was one of these events that probably doesn't get as much I guess there are a lot of books and things, a lot of writing, but it probably doesn't get as much press, especially in the yeah. West, as I guess it probably should, if you really yeah. think about it, and how much of an influence it have to have this small country, Afghanistan. Obviously, the American invasion of Afghanistan later on probably gets a lot more um, press. Yeah. Well, that's actually when I was researching um, this. A lot of this stuff that kept yeah. on coming up was, you know, how it related to the U.S. To the U.S. invasion, yeah, that happens much later on. But um, yeah, so it's just, it was one of those things. It, it changed the world, without a doubt. As yep. did the other invasion. As you know, invasions typically do; they do change the world. But yep, yep, yep. this one led to the eventual downfall of Soviet the Union. Soviet Union. All end right, of the Cold War. Yeah, and end of the Cold War. Absolutely. Uh, you know, for now. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think that kind of brings us to the end. Um, I just want to say thank you to everyone that tunes in every week and listens to this podcast. We do appreciate it. Um, hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoy recording it. If you guys need us, you can always find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. Do not be afraid to uh, shoot us an email, leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. They are greatly appreciated. So thank you so much, guys, and we'll see you guys next week. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.